glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. There in Genesis chapter 30, stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Let's go ahead and read down through verse 24, beginning in verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my maid Billa, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Billah, her handmaid, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her, and Billah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. And Billah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh. And she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. And Jacob come out of the field in the evening. And Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, because I have given my maid to my husband, and she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter, and called her name Dinah. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived, and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. And said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, as we read this story, you're reading about one messed up family. Uh, You think about this with me for just a minute as I try to introduce the message in such a way that we can make the spiritual application. Because that's the value to us today. We've just gotten a history lesson in in the history of the nation of Israel. Obviously, God did not choose the nation. He didn't choose Abraham or his offspring because they were... Perfect people, far from it. Uh, Jacob's one of those characters you'll read about in the Bible and you probably want to avoid reading about in the Bible because he's kind of like Peter in the New Testament. You might find a little too much of yourself in him if you study him too long. You say, well, you might find you in him, preacher, not me. Well, you're right, I have. I've all too often read of Jacob and said, boy, there's a man that I can relate to, I'm afraid to say, in so many ways. We learn Jacob was a great manipulator as a young man. I mean, let's understand what manipulation is. We live in a culture that, that is, is flesh. Just our natural sinful flesh is manipulative by nature, meaning I learn how to play things to get what I want. Uh, three-year-olds are great manipulators, or at least they try to be. 
If anybody's ever had a three-year-old, you know that what I'm saying is true. Uh, what happens is, as we grow older, if we don't get saved and don't let the Spirit of God have rule in our lives, we continue to manipulate things to get what we want for our own purposes. Children learn how to manipulate parents. Wives learn how to manipulate husbands. Husbands learn how to manipulate wives and, and bosses and systems. And politicians learn how to manipulate the political system and all to get what we want. What we find in this text, though, is something a little more dangerous, I think, if that's the best way to say it. Someone, and by the way, she wasn't the first to do it, who learned how to manipulate people in her life and circumstances in her life to get her intended result for her intended purpose. And then she said, and God did it. And as I read this text, it's part of my Bible reading recently, as I read it, it's one of those times it just jumped off the page. I think so much of what is being done, and I don't want to be too broad in my statement, but I see enough of this that I know it's what made it jump off the page. Often so much of what is being done in what we call Christianity today is Rachel-type Christianity. I'm not truly a fruitful Christian, and I know I should be. And I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I, I ought to be bearing fruit, and I see someone over there, a fellow believer, and they're bearing fruit. They are producing what the Christian life ought to produce, and their success causes me to look like a failure. I see this on an individual basis as a preacher. I see this among us as pastors, among us as churches, to where we see someone else that is bearing the natural product that would say they're a healthy person producing what healthy people do, and I am not, and I've got to even the score somehow. And if I do it right, I can get God on my side to know and everybody else can know that I'm as good as they are, if not better. And we want to manipulate the system and come up with producing something that makes us look as good as the other, and then we say, and God did it. And I can, as I think through this message, I can think of a host of illustrations to where there is in us naturally, because of pride, something we would call a competitive nature, uh, it's based in pride, and this pride can turn into envy. And so we see it manifest in children who feel like uh, this child gets more attention from mom and dad than this one. That sibling is dad's favorite. That sibling is mom's favorite. And we try to even the score. Well, you put that in a marriage. Any of you ladies could testify that what we see here is uh, is disaster waiting to happen. Polygamy, I read about this text this week, and one of the commentators from back in the 19th century said, uh, sometimes example, and I'm going to paraphrase, speaks far louder than precept. And if you want to see the folly of polygamy, read Genesis chapter 30. You have one man trying to uh, be married to two women, and then they have concubines because of the jealousy and the envy of those women and the competition that was there. And here's where I want to come to you this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says marriage, and this is not a message on marriage, but marriage is a type of Christ in the church. And if that be true, what did Jacob and his concubines and wives do to that type? They obliterated it. Well, what about us today when we're not responding properly to our Lord and Savior? Let's take the church analogy. This church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that relationship is not right and there's disloyalty, and he'll never be disloyal to us, but the point would be this. If we live our lives like Rachel lived hers, we misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ as much as she and Jacob did. 
If we live our lives in like fashion out of envy rather than contentment, please hear what I just said. If we live it out of envy rather than contentment, we're going to be in a great deal of trouble and misrepresent the Savior in a great way. And so I want to point out a few things about Rachel this morning, and I'm going to need the Lord's help to make application, but the application is here. There's no doubt about it. And I believe the application is is across the board. May I say this? Anytime a message is preached that brings sin to light, and this message does, it brings the sin of envy to light, uh, and it's going to bring uh, to light the, the fruits of that or the, 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 the byproduct of that sin. It is not merely that we might have a definition of the sin, but for the person who saved, one of the reasons this is in our Bible is for our admonition. So we can look at that and be forewarned. We can look into this text like we look into a mirror and say, Ooh, that is in my life. God cannot bless that. If perchance the Spirit of God were to use the message today and put His finger on my life and say, I had that message preached for you, the appropriate response would be to say, Thank you, Lord, for caring enough to clean me up. And by Your grace, I'll repent of the envy that's in my life, not excusing it, and I will submit to Your will and Your way. So one goal of the message would bring to light either a rebuke and a reproof of present envy in our lives, and it's and it's fallout. And by the way, James would warn New Testament Christians about this very thing. If you have bitter envying and strife, lie not and glory, glory not, lie not against the truth. Don't dismiss it. Don't excuse it. You have to replace it with the right attitude of heart. And so this morning, one would be a rebuke or reproof. The other would stand as a warning to say, we are all prone to this and we need not ever get in our lives to living and trying to produce through fleshly mechanism, what only God can produce through His power and His blessing. Somebody's asked for a definition of legalism. And the best I can say, if you want a general definition, the word's not in the Bible. When we try to produce in fleshly mechanism what can only be produced by the Spirit of God, there's a form of what you might call legalism. If you try to produce salvation through fleshly action, I do this and this and this and this, and that's going to get me a spot in heaven, you're lost. But if you're saved and you say, I'm going to produce the abundant Christian life spoken of in John 15, but I'm going to do it without abiding in Christ. I'm going to do it by dotting my I's and crossing my T's. I'm going to come up with a means of my own, and I'm going to produce it. You can't produce the abundant Christian life no more than you can produce the eternal life in fleshly power and and ability. And so uh, therein, I hope, is some application this morning. I think as we get into the text, the application might be just a little bit clearer to us. So... In putting it in context, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Jacob had originally married these two women, Leah first and then Rachel, and that's not the way he wanted it. Uh, I'm reading and using a book, a commentary, and it is entitled, Jacob, Sowing and Reaping. If you study the life of Jacob, his life is much about sowing and reaping. Uh, He had early in his life sown deceit in how he took the birthright and and connived the birthright from his brother Esau. And then he got the blessing through deceit. And ironically, when he goes to marry Rachel, he loves her and wants to marry Rachel. She's the younger daughter, and she gets the older one first. And what Laban says, it's not like that in our country. The younger one doesn't get things first before the older one. And there's all kinds of reaping in Jacob's life to show him, you sowed deceit, now you're reaping it. And so Jacob got the elder uglier sister first through a trick. He got tricked. He was a trickster. He got tricked. And so then he got Leah. And then he worked seven. That was seven years he worked for Rachel and got Leah. 
Seven more years he works for Rachel and he marries them both. And Laban gladly says, sure, you work seven more years for me. I'm willing to use you another seven years and be blessed because of your labor. Sure, you can have my daughters. And he married them both. Now that brings us into Genesis 29. Now he's married to both women. And as you well know, in Bible days, unlike our days, children were seen as a blessing. But to an extreme in this point, to the extent that when Rachel was not able to have children, she felt that she had to take that in her hands, that she was not of value or however you want to put that if she didn't have children. But the point I would try to make here is Leah had children first and it made Rachel look like she was the lesser of the two. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 29 verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, that doesn't mean that she was despised hated. The idea there would be she was not loved as much as Rachel. The Bible makes it clear. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. doesn't mean he didn't love Leah at any point. But you read this as well yesterday. No man can love. If he's a polygamist, he cannot love two women equally. It's impossible. Uh, it's, it's not possible to be married to both and give the kind of love one needs to. So many lessons practically in this text. But verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now let's just pause for a moment. Who gave Leah the ability to have children? God did. That needs to be very clear. He opened her womb and gave her the ability to have children. Verse 32. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. And for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard me that I was hated, he hath therefore, for, uh, hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Verse 35, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. We don't have time to get all the significance of their names. You can hear by the way she names her children the sense of competition there is between these two sisters. They're both married to the same man. Leah is longing for Jacob's affection. You'll see in chapter 30, as we already read, Rachel is longing to have children. You can tell Leah wants what Rachel has, and Rachel wants what Leah has. Human nature, is it not? Discontentment ruled in both of their hearts. Uh, they both feeling like that their, their needs to be met in their husband. I would say this, Judah is appropriately named as you see Leah naming her children, she's really being very honest about way, the way she feels. Now I'm having a son for my husband. That will get his attention and affection on me. Maybe he'll dwell with me instead of, instead of spending all his time with my prettier sister. That's not stretching the text one bit. She could see that Jacob preferred being with Rachel over her. And she said, well, maybe now that I have sons, he'll prefer me. I ask you something. What is the heart of operation of these two ladies? Their world revolved around who? Self. In the Christian, we live in a world that the God that the world serves is self. At the heart of humanism, which is the religion that has swept over our country, we are a humanistic nation by and large. It's what is taught and preached in our public schools. Uh, it is taught and preached from many a pulpit today. At the heart of humanism is one's own happiness. As long as I'm happy, then obviously what I'm doing is right. 
pragmatism prevails because of humanism. If you want to understand, just listen to how the world operates. What saddens me is many times that mentality creeps into God's people and the way we live out our lives. And what happens is, is that we produce a mess by self-centeredness. May I say the Lord Jesus, when He saved us, called us to take up our cross and follow Him. That means not living a life that revolves around self, but a life that revolves around the Savior. And may I say this, there's no other way to produce the fruit that God wants from our life than a life where Jesus Christ is preeminent. And at the onset of a new year, I speak and preach to you, especially the members of Bonners Ferry Baptist Church, there's some burden in my heart over where do we go from here. I believe, as you do, I would love to see some fruit in my own life personally, meaning souls saved, to see more of the fruit of the Spirit abounding in my life. I would love to see people walk into Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and experience and see and know the love of God, the joy of the Holy Ghost. But may I say this, if we do not produce it by the communion and fellowship with God that God has ordained... There's a temptation to come up with mechanisms to fabricate it and to produce it by proxy. Are you with me this morning? There there is a temptation in the life of the individual, in the heart of the individual Christian and of a church to say, well, we're not as fruitful. We see other churches that are vibrant. Souls are being saved. There seems to be a a sense of joy instead of of a sense of emptiness. Uh, My news for you, Here's her sisters had four babies, four. And Rachel's had none. Every time Leah has a baby, it's like pouring cold water on Rachel's head. And if we're not careful, we begin to look at the blessings of God on the lives of other people. And instead of rejoicing for His blessing, we resent it because their blessing means not mine. Amen? And that's what we have here in the context of the Scriptures. We come into chapter 30. Verse 1, the Bible says, and when Rachel saw, so the Bible says that Leah had born four, and she's had this last one. Finally, Leah realizes, God blessed me with these children. I need to thank the Lord. And in Judah, we know we now have the man that Jesus Christ will come from that tribe. And so she finds in Judah, I'm going to praise the Lord. What a befitting name. But in verse 1 of chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bare no children, Rachel, and I've underlined in my Bible, what's the next word say? envied her sister. Now, envy is rooted in jealousy, but it's worse than jealousy. And I don't know exactly and fully how to describe it. It's not jealousy because they're not the same words. How many know there's different words because there's different meanings? Jealousy may have the idea, I resent you for getting ahead in some way of me, but I don't intend to stop it. I don't intend to do anything about it. Envy seems to bear more, especially in the context of Scripture, scripture I resent you to the point, uh, point of despising you because of good in your life. And envy seems to always bring a person to act in order to do away with the blessing in the life of the other. To nullify. I am, I am, I am angry with you not only, and I despise you. It is, a, it is a competitive, comparative term, but it's an attitude of despite for another, especially for the good and the blessings in their life, to the extent that I'm willing to do something to try to nullify that blessing. And you can study in Scripture. Joseph's brothers envied him, so they threw him in a pit. Jesus' brethren envied him, so they pinned him on a cross. Rachel envied her sister, so she said, well, I'll outdo you. If I can't bear by God's design, God's design is marriage. 
That's God's design for fruitfulness. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Not Adam and Eve and Sue and whoever else. One man, one woman, make a family, be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. And all these other mechanisms we've come up with were not God's design, they're ours. Amen? And generally are rooted in the same kind of disposition that Rachel had. So... We find, as if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I'd have to see is Rachel's sorrow. There's no doubt she has sorrow over her own barrenness. But it wasn't only her own barrenness. It's her barrenness coupled next to her sister's fruitfulness. If we're not careful, we watch someone else's life, as I've already said, and we see them having the ability to produce what you and I cannot, especially in the spiritual sense, but in any part of the sense. So you see someone else getting ahead, someone else doing better than you in some capacity, and we say, well, I've got to do the same. And may I say, there's a difference in someone else's blessing motivating you to do what's right and someone else's blessing motivating you to do what's wrong. And here what happens is her sorrow is through her failure to reproduce, but her failure to reproduce caused her to have a failure of reputation. Don't miss that. A failure in reputation. When uh, Jacob and Leah and Rachel would go anywhere, and I, we have to use our imagination a little bit. You imagine this with me. Someone says, oh, hey, looky there. You have four children. Uh, Rachel, how many of those are yours? None. She can't bear that. You see, at this time, to not have children was no doubt a stigma. It was a stigma. If you didn't have children, many people viewed you as cursed. It's interesting, it was in her lineage. Great-grandma Sarah had had no children, was barren until she was an old woman, could not bear. It seemed to be an issue in that family so that God could show himself strong. And so we find Abraham and Sarah coming up with a similar scheme, by the way. When Sarah couldn't have a child, and Sarah said, well, if I can't have one myself, we'll have one by proxy, and I'll say it's mine. That's what. May I say again, What I'm concerned with is an age in which we may have learned how to produce what looks like a Christian life, but it's really not. We may have learned how to produce what looks like the the fruit of walking in the Spirit, but really it's not. I believe this. In Acts chapter 1, the Spirit of God had been poured out upon the church in Jerusalem. As they cooperated with Him, He made them fruitful. And many times we look back at first century book of Acts and say, how can we replicate what they did in Acts 1? And we start scheming and planning to figure out how can we look like we have the blessing of God like the first church did. I'll just stand here and say to you, church, I would rather be a barren church than a church that's pretending to be fruitful if we're not. I would rather us be barren, not reproducing then reproducing by a manipulative, deceitful, fraudulent means. That's where we're coming from today. We don't want to come up with fleshly mechanism to make it seem like we're something we're not. Got a question. Was Rachel barren or was Rachel fruitful? What's the reality? Barren. Now, I want you to think about this too. And I don't want to go to great depth because it could, it, could, it could be wrong in the context of this in a mixed crowd, but... The truth is, both women were married to the same man. There was not a difference in how they were living in that marriage relationship, yet one was having children 
The other one was not. And the fact is God had blessed Leah with the ability and withheld the ability from Rachel. So at this point, if Rachel is discontented with her circumstance as it is, who's her trouble really with, her sister or with God? It was God that withheld, and Jacob will point that out. So her sorrow is in her failure to reproduce, but her failure to reproduce brought about a failure in reputation. I can just say this. Again, I think we have a sense. Expectation can either encourage or it can destroy, but we each have a sense of the expectation first that the Lord has of us to bear fruit, and perhaps the expectation that others have of us to bear fruit. And I believe many of the the foolish mechanisms we've come up with for trying to produce fruit, whether it's seeing souls saved or producing what seems to be joy when it's not joy or seems to be peace, is nothing more than I want people to think I'm a good Christian. I want people to think I'm a fruitful Christian even if I'm not. So her sorrow was in a failure to reproduce, which was a failure of reputation. Number two, her sorrow led to her strife. That's point number two. Chapter 30, Rachel stirs up strife in the home. It says, and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, she went to the Lord and said, Lord, thank you. you know, let, me, let me give you another illustration in the Bible. You remember Hannah? Hannah had the same problem Rachel did. Hannah was in a polygamous relationship. And by the way, God's never been fine with polygamy, never will be fine with polygamy. He puts enough in the Bible to see that it was not his plan. But here's Hannah, and that's the situation she's in. Penina, her adversary, was having children, but Hannah was not. Hannah did the opposite of what Rachel did. Hannah went to the Lord, the one that she knew was in control, and said, Lord, I'm asking you, please, to give me a child. And if you will, I won't be selfish and keep him for me. I'll give him to you. And God heard her prayer, and God answered, and God blessed, and God made her fruitful. But she never came up with a scheme to go to her husband and say, hey, let's get you another wife, and we'll pretend that her kids are mine. You with me? No, Hannah was content Now, I'm not saying content to stay as she was, but content to understand that it was in God's hand. It was in God's hand. May I say, God leads us. And please hear me. I believe there is certain application to what I'm preaching to you this morning. For many of you where you are in your spiritual life, the land between Egypt and Canaan was a barren land. And you are going to have parts of your Christian life that are dry. You're going to have parts where you want milk and honey and you've got water and manna. And there's going to be a temptation to connive and manipulate and try to get in Canaan land some other way than God's way. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the joy that comes for living for Christ that is not immediately known upon salvation. And if we're not careful, we use carnal methods and means and start chasing our own pleasure and happiness instead of saying there are some things that only God can do and I'm willing to wait on Him. I'm willing to wait on God to give me victory in some areas. I'm willing to wait on God rather than trying to produce a victory that's not really a victory, a fruit that's not really fruit, and coming up with something that's corrupting instead of satisfying. And so her strife is seen in these verses in the beginning of the chapter. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. It has been pointed out that when she finally had children, that's why she died. She died bearing Benjamin, the second born. Careful what we say. We might end up getting that. Verse 2, And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? 
Jacob said, it is obviously not my fault that you're not having children. You are trying to get me to play God. I'm not God. May I say this? When we are dissatisfied and discontented with God's dealings with us, we often take it out on people around us. We often look to some authority in our life and say, it's your fault that I'm barren. If you were doing your job, hey, Jacob said, that's not between me and you. That's between you and God. And his anger was kindled, verse 3. And she said, Behold my maid Billa, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children, so on and so forth. What I want to point out in her strife is her motive. Rachel is not motivated by concern for Jacob. She doesn't say, You know, I want you to have children. I'm concerned for you. She's not concerned for Leah. She's not concerned for the name of the Lord. Rachel is motivated and fueled by envy, her despite toward her sister because her sister made her look bad. May I say this? I don't know of anything that kindles in us anger toward another person than them making us look bad. May I say this? When often we see a fellow believer going forward in their life with the Lord and bearing fruit, we can get envious. So, well, boy, they got it well yada, 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 and all of a sudden envy, that attitude of disdain for another, for the successes and blessings in their life that come from God becomes our motivator. In fact, to her manner, she's deceitful. She says, uh, Behold my maid Billa, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Billa, her handmaid, to wife, and Jacob went in unto her, and Billa conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son, therefore called she his name Dan. Uh, Her motive is envy. Her manner is deceit and defilement. That's her method as well. Let me ask you something. Is there any way this can be God's plan for Rachel and Jacob? It's motivated by sin. It is accomplished by sin. It It is carried out by sin. So it's Rachel's scheme. It's fleshly. If you read the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, this is wrought full of it. It's immoral. It's unclean. It's wrong. Shame on Jacob for going along with it. Billa, she's not completely in the clear, but she's the most innocent in the whole thing of the three. But they all go along with it. Rachel takes over, takes charge. That's what we're going to do. And what is the primary reason? I've got to save my reputation. I can't have people thinking that I'm barren. Now, obviously, she's going to know it's not her child. Bill is going to know it's not Rachel's child. Jacob knows it's not Rachel's child. Above all, God knows it's not Rachel's child. But if you're out in the public and she's that child's with you, nobody else knows. I'll put that child on my knees and everybody will say it's my child. I'll say it's my child. You know, we can grab the fruit-bearing capacity of someone else and call it our own. That doesn't mean we're fruitful Christians. Here's the context of this. Paul said to the Galatians, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. There is, there is not a place and should not be a place in our mind for substituting the fruitful life that comes from fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, His Word abiding in me, I abiding in Him, simple, wholehearted obedience to Him, and the godliness we spoke of in Sunday school, when we start replacing that with forms, that's how we get into 2 Timothy 3 where there's a form of godliness but the denial of the power thereof. You with me this morning? And so then, her strive, she uses deceit and envy to get accomplish what she wants, but here's probably the heart of the message. How do we gauge today when God has blessed something? What is the average way of describing, I know this was of God because... 
Anybody tracking with where I'm going? So it says, I came up with a plan, and I know that it was of God because... I'm sorry? There it is. It worked. God didn't stop me. So obviously it was God's will. I violated this Bible principle to make it happen, and I violated this Bible principle to make it happen, and I violated this Bible principle to make it happen, but hey, it worked. So obviously God was for it. I've heard this over and over and over. Seen people pursue careers that had... They had to violate biblical leadership and the leadership of the Spirit of God to pursue those careers. But they say, well, look, it's worked. It's the best job I ever had. Marriages. Seeing people enter into marriages that God's Word clearly forbids. Uh, perhaps a saved person marrying an unsaved person. Uh, you could go on down the line. Marriages that God is not within 100 miles of based on what the Bible says. But they say, but it worked. Obviously, it was of God. It worked. That brings us to Rachel's third point. We see her sorrow... She's sorrow because she's not bearing, she is not what she knows she ought to be. She sees that she ought to be bearing children and she can't, and that's God's doing. Her strife, instead of taking it up with God, she aims it at her sister, the one that's making her look bad. She starts attacking her sister, comes up with a scheme to say, I'll outdo her after all. It's all about a competition. I've got to be better than her. Her success, here's the sad part, it worked. (laughs) The Bible says, Verse 4, and she gave him, Billah, her handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in under her. This is her scheme, if you would. And Jacob went in under her, and Billah conceived and bare bare Jacob a son. I would think if God wasn't in it, that Billah would have the same problem Rachel did. She just couldn't have kids, wouldn't you? I mean, if God wasn't in it, it shouldn't work, right? I told you this where the message is at. And Rachel said, God hath judged me. And hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore, she called. Therefore, called she his name Dan. And Billah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a son. She named the next one honestly. The first one she lied. The next one she named honestly. She says, "With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed." She called his name Naphtali. She says, "You know what?" I got what I wanted. I came out on top. What I did and what I came up with succeeded, and therefore she named him Naphtali. But I want you to notice this. Notice, number one, the corruption in her success. God allowed her to succeed to some level at doing something wrong. Can we all agree giving your maid to your husband and pretending that her baby is yours is wrong? I think in this room we could all have 100% agreement on that. She could justify it like all of us are prone to do. Well, I just, you know, I want to have children like the next person. I want to be happy like everybody else. I have my rights. Don't I have a right to be happy? How many times have you heard that in your life? Don't I have a right to be happy? And don't I have a right to pursue the things that make me happy? And all I want, I just love children, she could have said. I just love babies. I just love children. I just can't bear to be without a child. And I want, I want God to be glorified. Let me ask you something. Did she pray over this? Said she did. She said, God hath heard me. I, I know people that say, well, obviously what I did was all right because I prayed about it first. Well, what did God say? <laughs> Mask question. Hadn't she already been praying for the Lord to give her a baby? Well, why didn't she say God hath heard me and said no? Aren't we prone to be dishonest with ourselves? 
She's only willing to recognize God's answering her prayer when God did what she wanted and blessed what she had actually done. And so here she comes up with a scheme, and she says it's all a lie. She's calling this child hers. It's not. It's, it may have been an accepted tradition in that time, but it was a foolish tradition. And so the corruption in her success, it was all rooted in sin. The claim of her success is found in what she names her son. She says, God hath judged me. Now, you think of the word judge. Don't, don't think of it the way that the average person in the culture uses it. Don't judge me. Judge can mean a couple of things. It can mean to judge and find fault, but it can also mean to judge and to vindicate. And that's the context of this. God saw that I was... She had heard her sister say, because I was hated, God gave me children. That was the truth. Now Rachel's saying, because I'm unhappy and obviously God wants me to have what I want, God has vindicated me. He's judged me and found that I was right in taking Billa and giving her to my husband. Please don't lose me this morning. When we violate Bible principle and come up with methods of doing things, here's what we do. When our way works, we say, see, God vindicated me. The preacher said I shouldn't do that, but I did it, and it worked. So obviously, I was right. read a man this morning. He was railing on the King James Bible. Uh, he was talking about uh, the errant thinking of believing that we have a preserved Bible that we can trust. And in bold letters on his blog, he said, I was right. You know what he's saying? God vindicated me. Very, inte- very intelligent man. Very intelligent man. But it's obviously also very important to declare, I'm right. May I say this today? Let God be true. And every man a liar. God's the one who's always right, not us, not me. But God is always right. And Rachel says, God judged me and heard me. It's what she names the child. The word Dan means to, to be a judge. God hath judged me and hath, and hath also heard my voice and hath given, who she say? Me, a son. Was the title of this boy true? No. God didn't give her a son. God gave Billa a son. This was not Rachel's son. It was Billa's son. She could say whatever she wanted to. And so the claim is that God had done this. And we often do the same. I hear someone say something like this, Boy, God is blessing my life. And yet at the same time, there is willful, obvious disobedience and disregard for the principles of the Bible. Can I say, I don't care how much it works. Let me put it to you this way. If I said, the pastor of your church, we're going to change some things up. Next week, we want to see our church move forward. We're going to change some methods just a little bit. Um, there's some things we've held to, and we're going to loosen up just a little bit. In fact, I want people in the community to know that we love them. I want people to know in the community we care for them. So what they're going to care for is a rock and roll concert and drink booze. So we're going to do that for them in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm using extreme examples, but some people do this. How many of you think it might work? We'd say, well, preacher, obviously God, it was for it because we packed the house. There are buildings packed all over the nation today that God's not within 100 miles of. May we not be one of them. May we say our fruitfulness comes from God or not at all. It'll either come from what the Spirit of God does within us and through us or not at all. Personally, as a family, as a church, May I say, you cannot fabricate salvation and it works. Somebody says, well, I'm saved because I'm in church and I have been all my life. That's not why you're saved. You're saved if you've been born again. You cannot fabricate salvation. Salvation's genuine. 
You've either received the Spirit of God upon faith in Jesus Christ or you haven't, and you cannot fabricate it. You can. Well, obviously I'm saved. I've been in church all these years. Obviously I'm saved. Everybody thinks I'm saved. That doesn't make you saved. You must be born again. Someone says, well, obviously I'm a good Christian. Obviously I'm faithful to the Lord. I, I do this and it works and I do that. No, no, no. You understand what she was doing was not justifying God. She was justifying herself. She said, I did something. You know what I believe? You know why I believe she named him Dan? And her conscience, she knew God didn't do it. She did it. She's covering her own fleshly mechanism with saying, God did this. God did this. And God didn't do it at all. She did it. That was her claim. The calamity of it all is, you know what she did? The next thing that happens, Leah says, oh, well, it's obviously works to take your maid and give to your husband. I'll do it too. Instead of reproducing legitimate children, she reproduced corruption in the family. Leah follows the same suit now. He has two wives, kind of, and two concubines. It's interesting. Somebody says, were they concubines or wives? Sometimes the Bible calls them concubines. Sometimes the Bible calls them wives. From God's standpoint, concubines. From God's standpoint, you have one wife until she's dead. That's throughout the Word of God. That's the way the Bible puts it. Amen? From man's standpoint, well, you can have all kinds. <laughs> I mean, Solomon had a thousand, did he not? 300 wives, 700 concubines. <laughs> and so what happens is instead of reproducing legitimate fruit, she reproduced more corruption. Let's give you a little bit of an example if the desire to be fruitful, to outdo somebody else, to save our reputation, in that envy and desire, we often come up with some pretty crafty schemes to make it look like we are bearing the legitimate fruit of the Spirit when in fact we're barren. And we, what it does when we do that and we think that God has, it worked. I hear that today. Preacher, you, you preach against the rock and roll in church and conforming to the world and the nightclub atmosphere, but it works. Those places are packed. Souls are getting saved. Have you ever heard that? That's subjective reasoning. If I have to violate the Word of God to get it done, it's not working, even though it may seem to be. So finally, her solution. What is Rachel's solution? We find her sorrow, her strife, her scheme, her success... Her solutions found as we read on down through. We find that Leah did the same thing she did, and she just follows her sister. She starts saying, well, God blesses me too. He, he gave you children. Well, he's vindicated me too. Uh, and so Leah has more children until she has a daughter named Dinah. But as we come down to verse 22, the Bible says, and God remembered Rachel. God remembered Rachel. All this time, God didn't forget that she was barren, meaning God rec- never recognized Rachel as a fruitful person. All that while, it never fooled God. It fooled everybody else, perhaps. didn't fool God. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now, turn to Revelation chapter 7, would you? And I'm not saying it's all because of what happened in Genesis 29 and 30. But if you study the life of Dan, the first boy that Billa bore, Dan has a history of corruption through the Bible. It was in the tribe of Dan that two golden calves were built and idolatry was promoted. In the book of Judges, it's the tribe of Dan that went and got a priest and took him to be their priest. He was a Levite and made him their priest. And they went and committed idolatry and slew a bunch of people that were defenseless. That was the tribe of Dan. 
It is prophesied of Dan in Genesis chapter 50 that he would be like an adder lying in the path to bite the heels of a horse. Dan, really, there's nothing good said about him throughout the whole Bible. But throughout the whole Bible, he's considered one of the tribes of Israel. When you get into Revelation 7, we won't read it all, but you're going to read of 12 tribes. And guess which tribe is not there? Dan. He's not there. But I'll tell you what about Joseph. Joseph has two people there. Dan has zero. Joseph has Manasseh and Ephraim. Let's read very quickly through the 12 tribes. It says about the 12 tribes that are going to make up that 144,000. Of the tribe of Judah, uh, it says in verse 5, uh, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephthalim, that was the second boy she, that Billah bore, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh, that's one of Joseph's sons, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon, were sealed 12,000. Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph is named, and Benjamin, but no Dan. Here's my point. So what's the point? All of Rachel's scheming, and from an eternal perspective, Dan's not even present. He's not even there. So what does that have to do with us? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Let every man take heed, therefore, how he buildeth on this foundation. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You and I can try to put forward that we are faithful, fruitful Christians and say, God has vindicated me because it works. But you know when the true test is going to come? At the judgment seat. When eternity puts our efforts to the test, that which is accomplished through fleshly means and fleshly mechanism and sinful methods will not abide the judgment. You can read 1 Corinthians 3 in your own time. I'd encourage you to do so. It's about how our works will be judged and If anything is wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn. But gold and silver and precious stones will stand. And this morning, my charge and challenge to you is this. We may be looking into the Word of God and seeing what a fruitful Christian looks like and what it ought to be. We may see somebody else in our life that we know that is producing fruit as God would have them to, and then in comparison, contrast, say, that's not what I am. And we have one of two responses to make at that point. Either wait on the Lord to remember us, and continue to simply do things His will and His according to His will and His way. And as the Word of God says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Or take things in our own hands and say, in order to save my reputation in the eyes of men, I'm going to pretend that I'm a fruitful Christian when I know I'm not. Does this make any sense this morning? To, to fabricate or counterfeit salvation ends up in a person spending eternity in hell. To counterfeit or imitate the Christian life ends up with fruitlessness at the judgment seat. We can put on a game. May I say this? I've heard all my life, don't play church. Don't play church. What do we mean by that? Don't pretend that I am walking in fellowship with God and bearing fruit if I'm not. Let us be honest. What would Rachel have been better to do? Did God ultimately remember her? Did he make her fruitful? But in the process, she took things in her own hands. And said, I'm going to produce it with my wisdom, my ability. She perverted the inside of the way that home operated. She made a mess of things. And may I say, we often do the same. When we say, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I will make joy in my life my way. I'll produce peace my way. I'll make, I'll, I'll, I'll create what love is my way. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. 
I'll do it my way. I'm not going to wait on God to teach me how to produce that fruit. I'm not going to wait on Christ to be formed in me. I'm going to shortcut the process and bear the same fruit. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, then you'll bear fruit. You know what abiding takes? Abiding is a term that entails time. Time. So we can either get ahead of the Lord today and produce corruption with fleshly mechanisms, or we can wait on the Lord, simply obey Him, and wait on Him to remember us and make us fruitful in His time. And that, again, applies personally, applies as a family, applies as a church. There's a host of applications. What I trust this morning is there's a message here, and that is when Rachel let envy fill her heart, that envy motivated her to do harm, not only to her sister, but to her entire family. And I would start this morning by application again. I don't know why the Lord directed today this way. He knows our hearts today. But I would say this, if envy is my motivator, meaning somebody else looks better than me and I've got to prove that I'm as good as they, that's the first place to start this morning. Let me close with one more text, James chapter 3. We find in here both the warning and the solution. I'm done after this text. James chapter 3. The Bible says this. Verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Did our text not demonstrate that truth this morning? But the wisdom that is from above is first, what's it say? Pure. If my thinking takes me outside the boundaries of purity, it's not from above. Then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Perhaps you're here this morning, and perhaps someone seems to be treated better than you. seems like God is playing favorites with somebody. Perhaps some person in your life, some authority in your life says, well, they favor this one. I've got to prove that I am what I'm supposed to be. And we've taken things in our own hands through envy. Maybe God is specifically dealing with, here's the person you're envious toward. You know what? We need to realize that's an issue between us and the Lord. You say, well, that's not where I'm at. Well, let it be a warning. But I trust the message is clear today, clear enough for the Spirit of God to make application. Maybe today you can say, you know what? I can fit right in Rachel's shoes. Or maybe you can say, I don't want to. It may be a reproof. It may be a caution. Here's what I'd say, though. We need to get our wisdom from, from above, not from within. We need to get our wisdom from above, not from within. When we start scheming and plotting and manipulating our lives, We only produce corruption, not true fruit.